So friends, today we celebrate the Feast of the Ascension of our Lord Jesus Christ. <laughs> As I was coming up with the words, or trying to come up with the words for today's homily, I always start reading them early in the morning on Monday morning. It's just kind of what I do. Sunday, I let Sunday be Sunday, and then the following Monday morning, I wake up that morning, and one of the first things that I do, I mean, obviously, after get up, use the restroom, all of that, coffee also comes first, and then I give a glance to this upcoming gospel. I wasn't really shaken for words when I first read it, actually. Uh, it wasn't really something that even I'm feeling like it was going to be a challenge to preach about. But then the week kind of unfolded as it did. And what I wanted to say needed to change. Uh, because I couldn't not say something, sorry for the double negative, but I could not not say anything. But then I realized that this is very much in line with today's gospel anyways. As we receive These words today in the gospel, we're mindful of what's, what's going on. You know, this is a, a difficult setting for those disciples. It's kind of a time of uncertainty for them as well. Keep in mind that their Lord, their teacher, they've come to know him as their God. But also, they've come to know him as friend. They've watched him die. They've watched him come back from the dead. And now they're having to say goodbye again. Now the ascension is important for a variety of reasons. First and foremost, it lets us know that it's not just done with the resurrection. In fact, there is still another step. It's not just about that new life, but it's about being reunited with our maker. It's about the joining of the love and the beloved. And it's an important time for all of us to be aware that gathering is the most important aspect of our faith. And it happens even after we've died. There's a rejoining that takes place there. It was always debated when I was in seminary. We always would talk about you know, the Paschal mystery. And everybody always talks about the life, death, and resurrection of Christ. But let us bear in mind that the ascension is super important because this is where we kind of get final instructions. This is where Christ looks at us and says, this is what I want you to do once I'm not around anymore. Because keep in mind, for the previous three years-ish, plus 40 days, they've been going around and healing people. They've been going and making sure that those who are hungry are fed. They've been allowing those who are blind to see. They've done everything they can to assist and lovingly accompany each and every person that they can, recognizing that there's still more work to do, never staying in one place for too long. But it's a journey of healing and of peace. We need to pay attention particularly to the time from the resurrection itself until Jesus goes to be back with Daddy, right? Father in Heaven. It's important for us to be aware of that because the first thing that He says 
as he encounters all of them very much in a state of unknowing, very much in a state of what's next, very much in a place of, oh my gosh, what just happened? Literally, oh my God, what just happened actually? Because they watched their God be put to death. But Christ returns and the first thing that he says is really what we're all called to be a part of. Peace be with you. He stands before them and shows the wounds of violence which he inflicted. But the first words that he shares, peace be with you. These weren't the last words that he had said to them. In fact, one of the last things that he actually got to say to all of his apostles were when they were in the garden together. And the instruction was to put down the sword. Matthew 26. It's a message of, yet again, peace. But it's a message of awareness of what should I be doing. And it's to step away from all of those things of violence. He stands before them with that hole in his side where he'd been pierced by a lance. Those hands able to be seen through. Thomas proves this. He wants to put his hand in the side. He wants to make sure and examine to make sure that this is truly Christ. And that verification is important there. It's also important at the ascension. We need to know that Jesus went back to be with the Father. We need to see these things. It's important to have closure on this. It would be really easy for a long-haired bearded dude to show up and be like, I have additional messages for you all. I am Jesus. Because not everybody had seen Jesus, but they had all heard of him. Jesus was not on Facebook. It's funny, but it's sad too. Um, it's this reality that they needed to know that this time was done. So that they didn't continue to look for him either though. They realized that they will see him again when they get to be with the Father as well. Keep in mind, grief does weird things to us, doesn't it? Have you ever lost a friend or a loved one and you keep thinking you see them all over the place? Happens all the time. You know, people are still saying Tupac's around. Elvis. Why? Because there's this mentality and we see these things, these people whom we love so much that mean so much to our lives. And the reality is that once they're gone, well, our brain wants to think they're still there. It's protective. Our brain does a lot of things to protect ourselves. It's why we tend to lash out when someone says something that's unsavory to us. Rather than recognizing that somebody else is really, they're having a bad day or they're just really judgmental, or they may not even really be a good person, but I don't know why I need to let them ruin my day. Because the reality is that I'm not called to respond to their hate. I am called to love. This is my role in the world. We recognize this in the various things that we do on a daily basis. I always bring up the example of driving. Until you never salute someone, while you're driving, or allow a four-letter word to come out of your mouth, or a series of words strung together, you're not there yet. 
we're still reacting to the world around us. If it's just something that we feel so open to do in the safety of our car, it means we're still not really that person. It means we're playing a role when we go out into the world. It means we're pretending to be something. And the reality of that is, be you. Be the you that follows Christ. Growing up, we had all these images of who's a hero in the world. When I was really, really young, it would have been like the, uh, oh goodness, John Wayne's of the world, you know? Howdy, pilgrim. Guns on hips, ready to fight at any moment. If I don't like what you've done, I'm going to deal with it. The reality is that's a character. It's an actor playing a part. And actually, if you know anything about John Wayne, he was a man who really struggled with his real life. Not really an example necessarily, not something that we're called to be. In more modern terms, we've got our superheroes, our Marvel and DC heroes. Some of them can fly, some of them have expensive toys. But at the end of the day, they are just characters in a comic book. Not what we're called to model our lives after. Not what we're called to be in any way, shape, or form. And the reality is that there have been very few individuals that have existed who actually should be our heroes. Very few who model out and live that life of what it is that we are called to be as Christians. Modeling their life after the life of Christ. I can think of very, very few. I say that because if we recognize who the person of Jesus truly was, he was a person who wants us to never be in conflict with each other. He does not want us to be fighting amongst each other. God does not want us to be a militant people. In fact, that's language that wasn't developed until like the third century. It's way after the coming of Christ. It's not the words of Jesus, but it was a great way to motivate people. If you see militaries walking in order and doing everything perfectly in the street, you knew what that was supposed to be. And who would contest that? But the reality, again, is that Christ chose each and every action that he did willingly. That entire walk to Calvary, all the way from that night in Gethsemane, all the way until the cross, Christ fully accepted everything that was done to him. And keep in mind, he was God. He could have obliterated everyone there. Raining down fire, could have done like Ark of the Covenant kind of a thing that we saw in Indiana Jones, faces melting off. God, why couldn't he? Because he doesn't. That's the reality. That our God is a pacifist. That he has a love for each and every one of us. And that we are called to embody that very love. We've seen some characters, real people, that have emulated this throughout history. 
Some of them weren't even Christian, but were impacted by the gospel itself. I think of Mahatma Gandhi and his passive, peaceful way of protesting. I think of Dr. King and all the freedom writers willing to take abuse, even trained themselves to be abused so that they did not lash out in anger because the, me the message itself becomes polluted when we respond in that way. We see incredible men and women that have modeled their life after the Christ. Some of them go to do all kinds of things. But what we're truly called to be is who you are, guided by the love of God. We need to be mindful of the fact that our actions and what we choose to do and choose to put out into the world needs to be that which guides. It's guiding people in a way that allow them to know that we are a peaceful people. Although, I gotta be honest, there's a lot of people who profess to follow Christ who they wouldn't know peace if they were just stuck in it. I mean, the truth of the matter is there are so many who proclaim to follow Christ who do so in a way that is manipulative. Because the truth is most people don't actually know who Christ is. They don't know what that love actually is. They don't understand something as large as self-sacrifice. And it's hard. Far more interested are we in changing who we are and becoming more peaceful. We tend to go with probably the most popular drug in America right now, which I would say is anger. No matter which side of the aisle you sit upon, you tune into your nightly news and you get mainlined that anger and get angry at everybody else on the other side. You cannot believe that they're doing these things. You are angry. Why? Once again, someone is saying something to you that's not about you and has nothing to do with the life that you've been called to live. I'd ask you why you watch the news at night. You'd say to become informed. Are you becoming informed to actually do something? Are you becoming informed so that you can be a participant in a message of peace? Are you finding out where it is that you can show up to be present? Perhaps it is in protest, perhaps it's in voting, perhaps it's in making sure that you are heard, city council meetings, wherever it is that you need to be, town halls? Or do we just allow ourselves to be kind of festering in anger in our own homes? We come to this place each and every week so that we may be fed. It's not a self-serving thing that we do so that we can just allow ourselves to kind of check off and show up at church. Yay, I went to church on Sunday, I'm good. Fire insurance, right? <laughs> but what we're called to do when we come to this space is to A, realize we're not alone. 
hopefully each and every person in here has a heart that is like yours that desires to grow in love. And we know that we go to that very source of love to be fed. What happens when we leave these doors? We enter into mission territory where we are expected to be participants in the world around us by what we do and by what we do not do. But we are called to be a presence of love primary to any other thing. It is easy to get angry. It is easy to be defensive. It is easy to lash back out. No one ever said following Christ is easy. In fact, Christ said it may be too hard for some of you to do. But what we have to be mindful of is that it's through sacrifice and a willingness to change what I am about, a willingness to change what I have known to be true, a willingness to change that feeling of need to be defensive and to realize that my call is to be a proactive, peaceful love in the world. One would say that Christianity is the most followed religion in the United States. Some would say Christianity is the founding religion of this nation that we live in. I'd correct you and say freedom of religion is what this nation was founded upon. And that there was a very clear and aware separation. Keep in mind, the Puritans that came to be here, they were religious extremists. No one wanted them to be in charge of anything, but we didn't want to say, you can't practice your faith. Does that mean that we shouldn't be a faithful people? No. But what it does mean is that as citizens, as people, that we need to act like Christians in those roles the choices of what we participate in, and those things that we do not want to be a part of. As a people of peace, it means that we choose to put down those objects of destruction, those many guns that take lives. And one would say, well, hold on. We can go philosophically and debate this toe-to-toe all day long, but it's about following Christ. You may say, well, what about that, you know, hunting rifle that I've got that's sitting up on the shelf? I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about these weapons that fire out so many rounds so quickly that not a single person is bringing home dinner with what they utilize that for. What I'm talking about is... <laughs> These exceptions that we seem to be making and willing to make when we know what is not good for us as a nation, but when our fear speaks louder than our love, it's proof that we are not actually a people of faith, but that we are a people who want to just say that we are people of faith. This is the difference between saying you're Christian and being a Christian. It's the way in which we choose each day to wake up and to be an instrument of peace. I know you all have heard these words before, 
Lord, make me an instrument of your peace. What we are called to be in this world is to be gatherers. Not people who divide ourselves based on ideologies. And what we are called to join ourselves within is a profound love that cannot be destroyed by anything, but rather overcomes sin and death itself. That message that Christ gives at the Great Commission is to go forth and to teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. This wasn't meaning to go and be equipped with a catechism. Catechism hadn't been written yet. It didn't mean go forth with the code of canon law. The reality is it didn't exist yet. What we were called to go forth and to teach and to immerse the people in is a profound love. A love that is displayed so clearly on that cross. That willingness to die for each and every one of us so that violence and hatred and division did not need to continue. And he overcame all of that. And the first words on the other side of that victory are, peace be with you. And so my siblings, on this Sunday, after we are fed with our Lord, body, blood, soul, divinity, may we live out that life of our Lord, a life of peace, a life of healing, a life which is desired to improve the lives of others, never to infringe upon another person, never to impede upon their free will, but to allow ourselves to be that cooperative, assisting accompaniment. This is how we bring about a reign of love, and this is how we live out the kingdom of God here and now. Amen.